I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics podcast. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has formally launched her bid for a second term at the helm of the European Union's exec executive, seeking to run as the center-right European People's Party's lead candidate in the upcoming EU elections in June. Von der Leyen kicked off her campaign pledging to improve the EU's defense capabilities, improve its competitiveness, and pursue its transition to climate neutrality. And while she does appear to have the necessary political support for another five-year term in Brussels, her eventual second spell as Commission President may look markedly different from the first one, as the center of gravity of European politics continues to shift further to the right. Today I'm joined by Matteo Ilardo, Reign's Europe analyst, to discuss the situation further. Hi, Matteo. Hey, Emma. So to start us off, um, will von der Leyen be re-elected, do you think? Well, so let's um, begin with the with the formalities here of, of the process. Um, first of all, she first must uh, secure the official nomination of of her of her own party at the European Union level, the European People's Party, um, under um, the um, which we'll call EPP for now for brevity. Under EPP rules, um, besides the backing of her own party in Germany, the Christian Democrats, uh, she also must receive the support of at least two other national parties. And this is likely to come from uh, Greece New Democracy and, and Poland Civic Platform, um, the, the, the ruling parties respectively of, uh, of uh, Greece and, and Poland. Um, after that, she will likely uh, be appointed the official lead candidate for the EPP uh, in March, most likely. And, uh, and after that, um, she, uh, she will continue um, through the process, which will see her being um, basically uh, securing the backing uh, of, uh, um, of uh, EU leaders, um, heads of states. Um, uh, von der Leyen here is the, is the clear favorite to, to win for now, um, because there's a, substantially a lack of credible uh, adversaries for her at this stage. Um, so she's expected effectively to, to receive the endorsement of um, several influential uh, EU leaders, both from the, her own political family, the EPP, but also from outside, as we saw, for instance, with um, Spanish socialist leader Sanchez or um, right-wing um, Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Meloni. Uh, the, of course, I mean, we always have the, the EU's chief um, contrarian Hungarian Prime Minister, uh, Viktor Orban, who expressively said she won't back her for a second term, but that's not surprising, is it? Um, so, in, in the end, basically, this is all uh, going to depend on the outcome of the June European Parliament elections. What we're likely to see here is a major shift to, uh, to the right, as you were saying, across several um, EU countries. Um, we'll see populist radical um, right-wing parties um, gaining votes and seats uh, across the EU. And we'll see center-left and, and green parties um, in parallel losing votes and seats, uh, again, in the European Parliament. This um, 
will likely translate into almost half the seats available in uh, the EU uh, legislature being held by uh, MPs that are outside the current uh, grand coalition of the three centrist groups, uh, which are um, von der Leyen's uh, EPP, but also the, the Social Democrats and the Greens. Uh, we may also still see um, the, um, the grand coalition uh, retaining a majority in the European Parliament, uh, in which case they will likely back von der Leyen for a second term. Uh, but that would be to a very narrow majority, uh, especially compared to the already narrow majority that we saw at the last election in 2019. Um, we may also see um, um, instead a right-wing coalition taking power uh, within the parliament. But in either case, we'll see her party, the, the European People's Party, most likely be the leading candidate of either um, coalition. Um, under the, a repeat of the current Grand Coalition, her um, election, re-election seems um, very likely. Under the, the second scenario, um, her election seems uh, quite more uh, unlikely. Um, that doesn't mean um, that's not going to happen, but it, it, it's going to be a significantly um, more difficult task to, to receive the backing of, of the European Parliament, because that coalition will also include a number of Eurosceptic, um, anti-von der Leyen, so to say, um, MPs and parties. Um, but, but I think my, my take is that von der Leyen herself has been working under this assumption as well. She has been preparing the ground, uh, for instance, in meetings with right-wing leaders such as, again, Giorgia Meloni, um, to, for a European Parliament that is not anymore the one that elected her in 2019. So, while less likely her election is still possible under um, right-wing dominated European Parliament. But of course, this will, again, as we'll discuss, this will translate into a very different policy agenda for her eventual second term. Could you uh, expand a bit or do a brief overview of what her first term uh, was like as it comes to an end? Overall, I guess, how did she do, if you can summarize that? Yeah, so if we could say that in a few words, um, I mean, certainly not without criticism, uh, but she has earned praise for her crisis management skills um, in, uh, during the past five years. She has um, guided the bloc through uh, the coronavirus pandemic first, uh, the outbreak of Russia's uh, full-scale uh, invasion against Ukraine, um, and she has pushed through uh, several significant reforms to EU rules on, on healthcare, state aid, energy, um, security policies to do so. Um, she oversaw the creation of the uh, next generation EU fund, the post-pandemic recovery funds in, in the EU, which effectively kept afloat European economies throughout the lockdowns. Um, this avoided an economic meltdown of, of the EU and helped um, the EU to reach pre-pandemic levels of growth in less than two years and uh, and all of this while linking the funds to important public policy objectives such as um, the the green and the G and the digital transition so um, this effectively was a major victory for the commission also considering how to do so she had to break kind of a taboo in the eu which is to issue joint eu debt uh, to raise the necessary 800 billion euros so um, this was a victory and and she earned praise uh, for this. Uh, she also allowed for greater uh, state aid from, uh, from member states' um, own budgets to support 
um, national companies throughout the, the pandemic crisis, uh, but also during the energy and inflation shocks uh, that were caused by the war in Ukraine. And, and here credits um, go to her commission to also push through a very comprehensive package of emergency energy measures to allow the bloc to navigate the price shocks we saw in 2022 uh, for natural gas, for, for electricity, um, and also to phase out reliance on en Russian energy supplies, all the while accelerating the rollout of renewable energy resources. Um, and, and mostly here we, we uh, ran out of the, the real positives, and here comes the less flattering part, uh, so to say. So she, she had promised a geopolitical commission, I'm using, I'm quoting her, I'm using her own words, um, and we saw that only to, to some extent. She managed with some difficulties to maintain remarkable EU unity um, behind Ukraine, all despite Hungary, despite uh, the current Slovakian government. Um, and yet all the limits of, of this EU unity um, on, on issues such as foreign policy emerged with uh, um, the chaotic and her chaotic response to the October 7 Hamas attack and, and the Israel invasion of Gaza that, that followed, where the EU struggled to actually have a united voice and a strong role in, in the crisis management, and still does uh, to some extent. So um, this was uh, definitely a, a less flattering element of, of her commission. She has also embarked on a process to de-risk relations with China, um, and that's yet to give concrete results. Uh, and this is because of Again, differences among uh, EU member states, how to deal with Beijing, and mostly reluctance from uh, EU countries to, to cede um, prerogatives to Brussels to um, decide on things like economic or investment uh, restrictions. So another point to, um, to, to make here is that the centerpiece of her first term was um, the fight against climate change. And here we saw, of course, substantial progress. Um, but also we saw quite some um, noteworthy setbacks. Um, right now we see the wave of protests from farmers across Europe and, and generally a political backlash against um, the EU green agenda, um, which is considered too costly, too burdensome on, on businesses and, and citizens. And this has led to some key initiatives, uh, to name one, the nature restoration law, uh, that have been scrapped or, or watered down, uh, at least. Um, and finally, for better or worse, the Commission, this Commission under von der Leyen, um, presented a series of initiatives on industrial policy, economic security, that have been taking the EU progressively away from its traditional free market approach uh, toward one that aims to leverage the EU economic power to, to pursue goals like strategic autonomy and basically prepare the bloc to the volatile geopolitical landscape that we live in. And, um, and these measures uh, include, uh, of course, um, things like uh, the economic, the anti-economic coercion tool for um, anti-foreign subsidies, legislation, um, measures to reduce economic vulnerabilities, critical dependencies, etc. We'll see more of that. Um, under any new uh, commission um, next year. And, uh, and this is pointing to a more overall, more interventionist, more protectionist EU. And that, that was a, a significant um, element of this commission. Can you speak to a prediction for how different a second term under von der Leyen would look based on, I guess, feedback 
criticisms, but also um, an overall review of the things that she did well. So as, as we were saying, um, if, if she's reelected, she'll have to deal with, uh, with um, an increasingly conservative protectionist and climate skeptic European Parliament and European governments. And, and she knows that. Uh, this was evident uh, when she announced her bid for another term on Monday. She said her ambition will be to make Europe more, and I'm quoting, competitive. And this is basically uh, an umbrella term that, um, that to, through which she's uh, basically saying that uh, the Commission will spend more on defence, or better, the EU uh, under the Commission will spend more on defence, ideally on EU-made weapons, have a more industry-friendly green agenda, and in general will work more to um, tackle all those competitiveness issues that have been um, affecting um, the EU economy, uh, the EU industrial base, vis-a-vis -vis, um, competitors in, in North America, in, in Asia, where basically uh, companies can, can benefit from significantly lower energy prices compared to Europe and a more generous state aid, um, such as in the US, the Inflation Reduction Act, we all know about that, um, than the EU is currently providing. So that will be certainly top of the agenda for the next commission um, under von der Leyen or, or any other um, um, commission president. But von der Leyen is making that clear. She's running on this, on this uh, promise. Um, the fact is that this is besides a more conservative uh, European uh, political spectrum. The fact is this is a very different word from when von der Leyen was, um, was elected president in, uh, commission president in 2019. The slogan uh, to make Europe more competitive basically reflects the current geopolitical climate, which sees Europe struggling to contain Russia, to reduce strategic dependencies on China, um, and that may see Donald Trump re-elected as the next US president uh, in uh, next, uh, this November, uh, and this would give Brussels another um, big headache for sure. So it will remove an, an essential ally and potentially give yet another problem to deal with. So um, as I said, Europe is also experiences this, uh, this wave of anger against climate policies. Um, and this is happening while the EU has just recently confirmed its goal to become climate neutral by 2050, uh, renewing uh, and expanding its climate targets by 2030. So, um, this will require a commission that is more um, um, eager to convince member states to, to give it the powers to, to have a bigger role in, uh, in um, steering, in, in shaping EU economic and industrial policies. Uh, it may result in uh, um, more calls for a proper EU industrial strategy that may see Brussels having a direct role in, in disbursing and directing industrial subsidies. Um, we may see, and she has called for this directly, we may see the creation of an EU defence commissioner, which doesn't mean that the EU will have its own army, but it means the EU will work toward um, supporting European weapons manufacturers with, with subsidies, um, joint pro, uh, production contracts. And, and generally agreements that would guarantee um, long-term purchases of EU-made weapon. This would be a strategy that is modeled exactly after her 
response to to the COVID nineteen pandemic with the creation on of, of EU vaccination of vaccines sorry uh, um, and, um, ways to increase output and, and efficiency and consolidating um, the, um, the the continent defense sector with with the same logic so um, we'll we'll see more of what we saw towards the second half of our commission um, being repeated reproposed um, under an eventual second term and we'll see also a lot of the um, elements that have been elaborated during the first term actually being implemented, these strategies, um, in the second term. We're talking about um, the, the risking strategy vis-a-vis -vis, vis -vis China, which will have to take uh, concrete policy, um, will have to translate into concrete policy measures. We'll see uh, the economic security strategies also be implemented. We're talking about potential outbound investment restrictions, um, export restrictions, very probl potentially problematic things for many EU countries for the relationship between EU and China. And we'll see also the implementation of a series of industrial and, and green um, strategies such as the, green, uh, the Critical Raw Materials Act, the Net Zero Industry Act, the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, all things that have been um, implemented um, very ambitiously um, over the past commission, but will now have um, to, to yield material results, and this will be very challenging under um, the new commission. Thanks, Matteo. I'm sure we'll be following up with you as the impacts of von der Leyen's potential second term unfold, but thanks for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me, Emma. Of course. You can read more of Matteo's analyses by subscribing to Rain's Risk Intelligence product. Our suite of products and solutions allow clients to access the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions. You can sign up or learn more at our website, rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E, network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.